Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yo, good afternoon. Good afternoon. You got a new studio. Uh, yes, I've moved into the house because my garage is very hot. Dude, it's been scorching lately. Yeah. Well, we have good news for listeners. Uh, Real Water Sports that we talk about often has a crazy sale going on on their website right now. Um, a sale and a surfboard giveaway, believe it or not, a twofer. Wow. Yeah, that's, I actually reposted uh, the surfboard giveaway, I think yesterday on my Instagram. Yeah. I mean, this is an absolute no brainer. Basically go to their website, give them your email address and you're entered to win a surfboard and you get to pick the surfboard. So you can unsubscribe from email addresses whenever you want, but I would say stay on and uh, receive their emails to see what they're up to. But that inventory, it's 1,500 boards. So if you get selected to win on September 1st, you get to pick any board from their 1,500 board inventory. Yeah, look, that's a lot of boards to choose from. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, you know what I was thinking in regards to the sale that they're doing? Um, You and I, for years, have been looking at and paying attention to foil boarding. And the real barrier of entry is the $2,000 rig setup, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be the time that we could avoid paying full freight for that. We can get in at like half price. Nice. Yeah, that's that's quite a commitment, the foiling. It really is. Uh, I was just looking through their starter setups. And yeah, some of them are as much as 43% off. So Check that out at realwatersports.com. And then, of course, NVS Fins has been our longtime sponsor as well. You can buy those at Real Water Sports or at Surf NVS. But that's all that I've been writing for years now. So check those out as well. Yeah, and the guys at NVS, as some people know, have made me a custom set of fins. And they can do that for you as well. They can make a custom set if there's a certain set of fins, but you want it in that really insane G10 technology. Uh NVS is the place to go for that. Hard to beat that customer service. So surfnvs.com. As we 
see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, a guy. Yeah, guy. David, the energy might be low because it's midday, which means nappy poo. Ooh. However, I've got a cup of coffee. I'm kicking into second stage active alert status. Um, do you normally take a daily nap? <laughs> That's a yes. No, no shame. I've been known to take a nap. But lately, I've been doing the midday coffee because I'm busy with work. Fair enough. Did you get did you get to surf? Oh yeah, I've been surfing. Waves have been fun, right? Hurricane Frank has been pumping. Um, if you surf and then you got to squeeze in a little nap, just that's fine by me. Yes. If you if you slept in, had a lazy day, and you're taking a nap, that's too much laziness. So you have to actually complete some physical activity and some work. You earned a nap. I would agree with this. I, you know. Um, Much of the world would agree with this. This is common practice. Right. You know, sloth is one of my character defects, but waking <laughs> up late and taking a nap, I just, I need to get some stuff done. I need to feel good about what's going on in the, in the world. Yeah. Well, it depends though how long that nap is. That's really the question mark. 45 minutes. It's pushing it. Really? If you hit the hour mark, I would say that verges on, uh, you know, non-productive and then you wake up sluggish and then it's hard to reset for the rest of the day. It's kind of a wash, but 45 and under, we'll call that re-energizing. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you. Let me ask you this. Do you get in bed or do you do it on the sofa? Because that makes a difference. I get into bed. I get into bed, David. Damn it. You're asking all the tough questions. (laughs) Always. That's what I'm here for. I'm slothful and I crawl into bed like a baby. Well, getting into bed, I also feel like is a different commitment level. If I'm just on the sofa, like mentally, I'm not going to allow myself to go into REM necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Getting under those cool sheets. You don't have air conditioning there, do you? No, we've got a couple of individual room units, but we don't have central. Oh, man, it's like cold in my house. <laughs> it's cold. It's Jealous. like 69 degrees in my house. My garage, however, is like 85. Dude, based on this, you don't even need to put those haagen away in the freezer next time we record. <laughs> when that delivery shows up, you leave them out in the living room. I've been off the haagen lately, actually. <laughs> okay, but, good. But, yeah. You know... All things uh, in moderation. And by moderation, I mean three months on, three months off. You'll be fine. That's kind of how we um, roll. Well, so following up on last month, we had a Pizel shadow that we were giving away. One Eric Holland in San Francisco City won this board. Yeah. Good for him. I read his email thanking you, and it didn't seem like he was much of a uh, spit listener. He was more into the grit with you and Chaz, apparently. Well, his email went on, um, but I can only fit so much on the Instagram screenshot. 
but he's a listener of everything and longtime listener and happy to support and said he's actually going to ride the board. Good. Which is a good thing. Yeah. Well, congrats to him. John John's signature on it. So hopefully that doesn't rub off from wear and tear. What is that um, product placement you just did there with the white tea? What is that? This is Trader Joe's finest sparkling white tea with pomegranate juice. Uh, it's nice. I don't, it's not really a pick me up. I don't know if it's got caffeine or not, but it's nice. little refresher. You sound like you might have just a slight cold, actually. I've actually got a slight case of COVID. Do you really? My first since this thing became a thing. You've got COVID, huh? It sucks. My friend was just telling me that she was wearing a mask in the Trader Joe's or wherever. And somebody was like, why do you wear that thing? It's, it's over. And she looks at him. She goes, I've got COVID. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I, and then I thought my, the, the, maybe the move, if you're wearing a mask and somebody gives you a hard time or asks you about it, just, just look at him and go, I've got monkey pox. <laughs> so did she actually have COVID? I don't know. I don't think so. No. Uh, she just, you know, yeah. Protect, well, protecting others. We went to New York for a wedding. And so that was the problem going to New York and being in a crowd and all that sort of stuff. Did you wear it, a mask on the plane? Yes. And did the kid? Well, no, it was just my mom and I traveled. Lauren oh. and the kids stayed home. Um, it was a family wedding, but in the airport, masks? No. In in crowded environments like subway, bus, all that sort of stuff, yeah. But here's where I went wrong: was going to Times Square. I I didn't get monkeypox in Times Square, dude. Dude, You can get an STD in Times Square just from walking around. Probably that's what I'm talking about. um, I really think that's where I went wrong because it just felt wrong. You know, I got there and I was just like, ah, this is a bad decision. But anyways, symptoms are very mild. I honestly, even like, I don't know if this matters or not, but the uh, at-home test you take, not super reliable, but the line on that, the second line that indicates a positive test was so faint. I actually picked it up and I go, oh, it's negative. And Lauren's like, really? Let me see. And then she looked at it. She goes, I think that's a line. That looks like it might be positive. So I don't know if the faintness has to do with severity. Yeah. So I should actually go take like the PCR or a little bit more reliable test because I'm not fully convinced that I have it. Yeah. Um, but my nose is a little bit drippy and I do sound like like I lost my voice at the wedding. So I was kind of feeling ragged. Oh, my and, God. You're uh, at the wedding just spewing out COVID germs. To everybody. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that was day one. So I doubt that that was where I got it or where I could have shared it. Anyways, that's yeah. what I'm going through. So not, not, not tons of fun. I'm sorry. Sorry. Well, the hard part is being gone and then coming home and having to isolate, not being able to see the wife and kid, you know? Yeah. That's a problem. But we can still podcast from afar. Are you guys married? No, but you know, you just say that. Yeah. (laughs) It is what it is. The best of both worlds. Exactly. A wife, but not really. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so I've got a number of listener line calls that I want you to chime in on. We've obviously got the U.S. Open. The Padang event just happened yesterday. Is there anything else that you want to put on the docket? Um, no, those are pretty good. I did have something um, regarding uh, the electric acid surfboard test, which kind of the guys, at Stab, the guys at Stab have thrown a bit of a uh, 
curveball for the electric electric acid surfboard test. Um, this just came out today, I believe, but basically they've decided to collaborate shapers with one board. So there'll be two shapers collaborating to make one board. There will be six boards total. And Mick Fanning is the one that's gonna be putting these boards through their paces. So it's pretty interesting, right? You're not, Mick's not gonna know which two shapers made the board. I mean, shoot, just figuring out one shaper is kind of difficult enough, but um, you know, it's cool that Stab's throwing a different wrinkle. I'm not sure how this is gonna play out. If it's even, does it have, is it meaningful to, for you and I, the end user consumer, like, like, oh, I like that board. Now I gotta call two guys to have them make it. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what, I'm, I'm all for changing it up and keeping it fresh. And I think that's what they're trying to do here. And I, we'll see how it plays out. I'm gonna take the opposite of uh, tack or opposite opinion on this. I've always applauded the electric acid surfboard test and stab in the dark. This is one that's a big swing and a miss from the concept. Um, when does when is a tweener ever the right answer? You know what I mean? Like there there are surfboard genres that are good, and then you try to be everything to everyone, and they don't work. And I guess I don't mind like, yes, for the end consumer, what you said matters. Nobody's going to be able to watch this, love the board and then go out and buy it. So that's a problem right there. Number two, you said Mick Fanning, it'd be hard for him to identify whose board one, whose shaper, who the shaper is of one individual board. With this, the shaper isn't even expressing their life's I don't know, knowledge and work into this board. It's now become an amalgam of two different things. If if there was a version of this where that becomes a greater version than the sum of its parts, okay, then I could see the concept here. Maybe we're shooting for that. This isn't going to be that. This is going to be whatever the combination is, is going to be a lesser version than what that shaper would have done on their own. And even when they showed the image of what these boards look like, they look like freak shows. You know what I mean? Each individual board looked like something that was flies in the face of hydrodynamics. So I, I'm not sure what the goal here is. Yeah, I would agree with you. This is kind of low-hanging fruit in some regard. Like it's easy to, to kind of bat this one down and go, this is lame. So and I have, you know, I can do that too. But um, again, for, I'm going to give it a thumbs up for the freshness. And also because we haven't even seen it yet. Like we haven't seen it play out. But I do agree with you that on its surface, it seems like they could have come up with something different and still made it fresh. And I will say this, look, we all love McFanning surfing, but really McFanning surfing is best done on a 6-1. And Completely. I'd much rather see, like, for lack of a better phrase, an alternative style, like a surfer with an, that's more prone towards the alternative style of surfboard, like, say, a Mikey February, for instance. Now, um, how about this? And I'm sure they've thought of this, but at this stage in the ballgame, there are plenty of shapers that, that make alternative craft. Am I still there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That, that, um, that are pretty good surfers. Like why not get somehow get like a Tyler Warren or, I mean, there's a bunch of guys that are like Ryan Sakel comes to mind. Um, there's a bunch of guys that shape that are good surfers, like, like legitimate, like Chaz 
up there in, in um, up where you're Seal at. Beach. He kind of, you know, I know he's a little older, but you know what I mean? Like there's guys that can surf that um, Tim Stamps is a good surfer. Um, Cordell, you know, there's, you know, again, those guys might be a little long in tooth. At least Tyler's probably still, you know, kind of springy and on his feet, but wouldn't it be neat if you got a shaper that was the surfer that could help sort of explain and excavate the design theories under his feet. Um, so anyway, that's something I, perhaps for next time. Well, so that's a great idea that isn't strictly novelty. I feel like this concept that they came up with is strictly novelty. I don't understand where the substance yeah. and the concept well, is. Well, I think what you're struggling with is who are they aiming this at? Like, is right. this for Mick Fanning? Is this for the two shapers? It's certainly it's not. not for the end consumer. It kind it's of seems not for like the it, two shapers. It, it misses everywhere, you know, like it, it misses three different ways. It's the tweener. So I when I first was reading the article, they used uh what if we got XXX and YYY so that they could leave the names blank and have them come together and shape a board? And what I thought they were saying was X is the surfer, Y is the shaper. And they get together and shape a board. So it would be Mick Fanning getting together with a shaper and shaping a board. I thought, okay, that has a little bit of interest to me, making the surfer become a shaper because he would learn something along the way. That's a concept, you know? But even that I don't think would be a great concept. But when I then continued reading, I'm like, no, we're just going to force two shapers to build a board together. I'm like, what the heck? Just seems like, I don't know. Stab has never, um, they've always gone for substance versus novelty and i feel like this is just a completely novel concept that lacks any real substance and interest yeah we'll see i mean you look at the boards and you're like really mick fan i mean is it like no i don't want to see mick ride him to your I, point. I, I just feel like mick fanning is going to want to rip the fins out of the back of a wave on each and every one of these boards and these boards don't look like boards that are made to do that right they look like six tens it looked like boards yeah. Mikey February would would you know paint a pretty picture on, or yeah. whoever Torn Martin or, or you know you name it, but Mick Fanning at the bottom of a wave cranking a bottom turn like, I love the bottom. I don't know. I, you're right. They miss on a bunch of different levels here. Again, I I know it's this one seems like low hanging fruit, and maybe there's a reason that the fruit is hanging low because it should be squashed and thrown into the neighbor's yard. <laughs> um. It was like when Dane did the electric acid surfboard test and they had him riding. A, there was a couple of holes in the quiver and he was hideous. trying to, yeah, he was trying to like do big old cutbacks on him and he couldn't get him to do anything other than track. And it was like, ah, Dane's just pushing way too hard on those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there's, there's a lot of different ways we could go, but this seems like one way that's just, it doesn't hit right away on any fronts. Now, Again, I'm going to give some leeway here. Maybe we'll just love this. Maybe we'll something will come of this that no one expected, which I'm I'm half assuming that those guys are anticipating or hoping for. But here's another concept that I'll throw out there that they may use some version of this, and that's fine. But why not get like six, 12 shapers from Japan or 12 shapers from Brazil or 12 shapers from Portugal or, you know, in that area? You know what I mean? And just like do like a geographic electric acid surfboard test. That might be fun. You know, like it could be interesting. You don't always have to see JS and Chile and all the same guys, you know, like it seems a bit like 
it seems like, I don't know, there's, I just think there's a lot of different ways to go. And it'd be cool if they spread the, the love a little bit with, there's so many guys out there that yeah. would appreciate the opportunity to have their board surfed by Mick Fanning on stab. That if it's like the same kind of go to, even the alt guys are like, kind of like there's like a little stable of guys, you know, and let's go outside well, of the stable. I was thinking for the electric acid surfboard test, absolutely go far and wide. But I'm wondering for stab in the dark where it's pointy thrusters, is there a bit more objectivity in that, in, in kind of what defines the best boards in the world? And we know kind of who the tip of that spear is. And so let's make the tip of the spear battle it out to see who actually is the point. Yeah, it, what's interesting too is that even the contemporary pointy nose thrusters, for lack of a better phrase, those boards, there's a pretty wide gamut of designs with those boards, you know what I mean? And wouldn't it be fun to see like a deep six channel bottom in one of those, um, you know what I mean? In the stab in the dark, like every, you know, like throw a design element that every shaper has to put in there. They're all gonna be deep sixes or they're yeah. all gonna, whatever, you know, I don't, there's a bunch of different ways to go, but um, yeah, anyway. Yeah. We'll see how well, this plays out. Uh, the first there, episode drops in September, by the way, on STAB. September 1st, I think. And you should yeah, be, so, a, you don't have to be a STAB premium member, I don't think. I don't really know, I'm not, I don't work there. But, um, you know, I urge everyone to support all surf journalism, whether it's the Surfer's Journal, uh, STAB, um, who am I forgetting? You know, I know Surfline does some editorial stuff. Magic Seaweed probably, oh, all the guys on the East Coast, like, like Swellnet and Coastal Watch, those, you know, there's, you know, like, like let's support surfing journalism. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And STAB, by the way, is the one funding this. And so they're entitled to do whatever they want. And uh, hopefully it'll be a success for them. But those are our critiques from the outside looking in. Um, as you're talking about style, actually, one of our listener calls is exactly about that. And it's calling back some of the questions that we've proposed in recent shows. It's a little bit lengthy. I think it's about a three and a half minute call, but um, worth certainly worth listening to and discussing. David, Scott, this is Scott from, uh, well, the boardroom show and uh, surf swaps and yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, you guys have been talking about style last couple of weeks, who your favorite surfers are, what their favorite style is, uh, but you haven't really tried to define what style is. Obviously, that's really difficult, but I do think if you are going to try and, you know, say who your favorite surfers are, trying to define why you like them is important. So I came up with something. I was just thinking about it. Uh and I think style really comes down to two things that you need to have both of. Uh, one is mastery and one, the other is creativity. And you, you can't have just one. You have to have both. And I think it also applies to any medium. You know, it could be music. It could be fashion. You know, if you have, if you're a really talented musician, but you are playing cover songs, no one's going to say they love your style of music. Um, so you need to have both. And in surfing, I think that mastery is is kind of like efficiency or effort effortlessness. And you could do something really difficult and makes and, and make it look easy. That's 
mastery. And then creativity, I think, in surfing a lot of times is not um, not necessarily like beforehand creativity, like strategy creativity, but it's improvisational. It's spontaneity. And one of the first examples that I think of that comes to mind, I think a lot of people would know, would be Steph's 10-point ride at, I think it was Karamas in Bali a couple of years ago in a competition. So a lot of people know about it. She read the wave perfectly, pulled in, came out. I think she was about to claim or something and saw, then saw the end section, hit the end section. And that that creativity in the moment, the reading the wave, I think is what what really put that that over the edge and why you know we love stuff style and so many people love her style you can see it in uh the free scrubber movie really simply because how just kind of minimally he's surfing he's reading the wave and then doing exactly what he needs to do and then on the other side of things people that don't come up on a lot of people's favorite style list you know, you think of people who have a lot of one but not the other. Think of Idolo's, how he is incredibly spontaneous, uh, but he always looks like he's trying hard, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think that's probably why a lot of people don't have him on, you know, their favorite style list. You know, you could say someone like uh, Gabe, he does things incredibly efficient and effortless, but a lot of people you know, look at his style of surfing and think that he, you know, they, they, they think it's maybe that they know what he's going to do. But I think if you do this with any of your favorite surfers and think about their mastery and creativity, I think it, it can, where you think about their style and how it ranks, I think those two things are pretty good uh, qualifiers to, you know, talk about people's style. But I don't know. I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts and maybe some other listeners on why they appreciate someone's style or not. Uh, but, yeah, just curious what other people's thoughts are. All right. Take care. What do you think? Well, it was a good call. Was, he broke it down really well. Um, mastery and creativity equals style. Um, I also think that, you know, if you do a deeper dive on that, as he mentioned, then spontaneity comes into the equation. It made me think – and he brought up Idolo, but you think about guys that are eyeing and lining up an air section 30 yards down the line. And, and it, this phone call really made me think about this, but even if that guy does some insane air, there's a little bit of um, saltiness in my view of it because I know he was lining it up for 15 seconds. Yeah. And so that takes away from that spontaneity that, that Scott talks about. So I love the idea of spontaneity being part of the um, equation. And uh, I think mastery, that's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, you can't have a good style if you don't know how to actually do the thing. Um, but creativity, efficiency, I love that he brought up Steph's. That was an incredible ride at Karamas. I want to say she came out of the barrel and like did like a layback into another section that heaved over. No. She like stomped us. She basically stopped and set and set her rail for then a deep draining barrel. That's what to happened. get in the tube, like a kickstall to get in the yeah, tube. Yeah, she did a kickstall. Exactly. That was it. Yeah. So yeah, I like this call. I think that's good. I think if all of us, when we when we watch guys surf, 
and we wonder why it is that we're drawn towards this guy versus that guy, we can look to some of the stuff that Scott pointed out, which is mastery, creativity, and spontaneity. Um, these things sort of help us understand why we're drawn to a certain guy's style. And again, you and I have spoken in, at some length about the idea of what people do between turns, the quietness, the effortlessness of their body and their actions um, between brush strokes, so to speak. Yeah, you might be right that there's one or two things that we could add to that criteria, um, but Scott nailed it in that you can't have good style without mastery and creativity. And there are examples of people who have a lot of mastery. Um, Adriana de Souza, let's say, is one that we kind of always use. Um, Jadson Andre, mastery, not a lot of creativity. They're kind of doing things that we've always seen other people do before and therefore void of style. Um, whereas, I mean, Kelly Slater, we talked about him I, the last show or two. His mastery is obviously on a different level. And when you watch him free surf and he's taking unconventional lines, lines that he wouldn't take in a contest, his style really looks improved upon over the contest version of himself. You know, you can see all of Kern's influence in him, basically, in those moments. Yeah, and, and Scott mentioned, too, he quickly mentioned, um, you know, you see this in other art forms, and he mentioned music. And, you know, in some ways, surf contests can be like, okay, let's see who can play 12-bar blues really, really good. You know, like, who's the best at hitting the one, the four and the five and just doing all the times and doing it. And let's just, and, and surf contests in some regards, unfortunately are like, who's playing the best 12 bar blues for lack of a better phrase. Let's just call it 12 bar blues. And, and then you and I know that, well, gosh, the thing that's insane about jazz players is that they're doing that and they're going, yeah, but I'm going to mix in some, some, you know, a six note and some flat threes and we're going to go in different places I promise you, I will get back to the one. I'm going to get back there. But just go on this ride with me because 12 bar blues is boring as fuck after a while. And sometimes when we watch surf contests, we're like, oh, God, it was a great ride. I mean, he checked all the marks, but it was boring because he didn't hit that flat three like the way that Kelly might or the way that Steph did in that one con, you know, the way that certain people are doing it. The, by putting the parameters on that musical contest, you're eliminating the opportunity for greatness essentially for, is what, style, what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. For style, exactly. which is a perfect segue into our next call. Hey, David, Scott, on the leave a message for spit and following up from your recent conversation about the subjectivity of uh, judging and professional surfing. Uh, you guys have been tiptoeing around this idea for quite a while and I finally just got compelled to call in and provide a suggestion. I mean, really the, the, the way to take out the subjectivity of it, which is, you know, like at its core, one of the fundamental challenges with professional surfing, competitive surfing, is you know, the concept of AI, artificial intelligence. So, you know, think about the speed, power, flow. The speed and the power could all be quantified through AI with enough cameras and enough design of the artificial intelligence, they could quantify how much spray 
uh, is produced from a cutback. Uh, I think what you would want to do is perhaps look at the criteria and replace flow because flow is so subjective with amplitude. So as an error is occurring, that AI could measure the distance between uh, the lip of the wave and the bottom of the surfboard. So all of a sudden, you can kind of take all of that out. So not only do you not have to not do the remote judges or do any of that and pay for all of that and, you know, the, the conflict, the, the inherent conflict of interest between the judges and the surfers that are hanging out at the bar in Tahiti or whatever, but let computers do the work, build the algorithm, have the transparency with it, and, um, yeah, use artificial intelligence. Uh, it's a huge, huge industry. Uh, I'm in Gainesville, University of Florida. They're building a huge uh, facility for AI right now. So it's really the future, and uh, it could be applied to surf uh, judging and competitive surfing. All right, keep up the great work, guys. Appreciate the podcast, and uh, we'll keep listening. Later. Talk about the opposite of style. <laughs> Let's well, have robots judge. No, I, I think, but actually, in, in some ways, it allows for style because, and I don't know anything about artificial intelligence. Uh, I don't even know about my own intelligence. But I do know that um, if we could take the subjectivity out with AI, as this gentleman suggests, was he in Gainesville? Is that what he said? Yeah. A friend from, yeah. By, by the way, is that where we want to uh, take <laughs> our cues from for intelligence <laughs> and this, uh, this technology? He seemed very smart and uh, we can't, you know, judge a book by its cover. Well, hey, Tom Petty's from Gainesville, so all is forgiven. Yeah, um, actually, the Almond Brothers are kind of from that area of Florida or they have some roots there, I think. I take back everything I said there. I'm all for it. <laughs> but I think what I took away from his discussion about artificial intelligence is great. Let's take the subjective nature out of you know, we need to see X, Y, and Z. The best way to judge X, Y, and Z is through AI. Now, whoever does those things great and then adds a jazz component to that and then circles back to X, Y, and Z. Now we have a guy that's checked all the boxes and showed us the flair and done the thing that's like we weren't expecting to see the really grew, you know, the thing that makes us all go, wow, that was cool. That was Tom Kern, first wave ever at J-Bay on a quad fin or whatever, you know, like where you're just like, wow, that Clay Marzo doing like a reverse layback in the tube, you know, like doing a front side layback in the barrel. That's crazy shit, you know? And um, so anyway, I'm all for taking away the subjectivity if we can, but we got to keep the subjectivity for the style portion, right? Yeah, that's a great call. I didn't even consider any way to incorporate style into that objective judging format um my my thought was yes this listener solved the problem of objectivity in judging surfing but it also clearly highlights how we're going the complete wrong way by doing that and the entire entire effort to make judging subjective or objective is really a futile effort and it's not what we should be doing in surfing at all. It, it reminds me that competitive surfing serves a purpose, but it's so niche. It's like, we should only be spending so little time looking at and discussing competitive surfing because the act of surfing is so much broader and vaster. And it is kind of interesting to see who has the most amplitude. It's kind of interesting to see who throws the most spray 
but it should just be this tiny little niche over here that gets a little bit of our attention and our focus. And yeah, we can just objectively score that now through these robots or through AI, but it's not the end all be all by any stretch. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it it's like we're we're trying to micromanage this con this this process so much that we're sort of losing sight of what's important. And if you look at surf contests back in the day, and even when I was in the NSSAs, um, and even when you free surf, when you and I free surf, and you watch guys in the water, and you're like, wow, that guy won the heat or whatever. That guy was the best surfer that day. In my mind, it's often the guy that catches the biggest wave and rides the wave, that big wave, the best, right? Like, so we're, we've kind of lost sight of the whole catch the biggest wave thing. Like when, you, totally. when you're out surfing at wherever when, and the big set comes, whoever got the big set bomb and absolutely killed it, that guy kind of won. Well, and it's we've, because we've lost that. We've lost the idea of who's caught the biggest wave. Now, you're right. I think what you're going to say is there are some waves where the biggest wave isn't the best one. It's the ones underneath that hit the sandbank better or whatever. Well, yeah, but that's not what I was going to say. But it, what I was going to say is that it's the most competent surfer who gets the biggest and the best wave because they are the most competent surfer. That's part of it. You know? Yeah, yeah that's true. And, and of course, in contests, it takes out the the sort of randomness of, oh, some guys on a stand-up paddleboard, that's why he caught every set wave. Now we just have man-on-man -man guys that are basically riding the same boards. Let's see who can judge the ocean, who knows which, yeah. which wave of the set is gonna be the better wave, the bigger wave. So, you know, we've, we've lost sight of actually who caught the biggest wave. Like that's not important. I don't even think that's in the criteria. It really isn't. I did, you know, the more we analyze this and this call kind of summed it up for me, the less interested the yeah. less interested I am in contests. It's like, if this is really what it comes down to, it is such a far cry from what you and I love about surfing. Well, I agree. And I mean, look, I since probably our very first podcast together, I've stated unequivocally that really surfing is not a sport. Right. It's an athletic endeavor. But anything where you don't score your own points and don't have a guy defending you trying to stop you from scoring your own points isn't really in, in the truest sense of the word a sport. And this is where we have problems because of the subjectivity, just like gymnastics, you know, unless it's timed or whatever. But, you know, like anything ice skating, you know, any of these things where like we're putting scores, to some some, you know, whoever, somebody that's not as good at, at doing this as the person that's doing it is giving a score it's just uh, well anyway i think i've made my point yeah and your points become more and more salient yeah. and obvious as time's gone on but i think what's interesting is surf ranch has uh proven this concept to be true in a different way it was creating that uniformity in an ai element that we thought we all craved so much actually highlighted that what we actually crave is spontaneity. What we actually crave is that the ocean is going to provide randomness and we are going to let the best surfer find, uh, you know, through their own skill set that they've honed over decades, they are going to find the best canvas to showcase their art on. If you provide the canvas and then provide the judging criteria, it creates a box 
that eliminates all of that spontaneity, which is the excitement. The spontaneity is the excitement. And so now you really are, it is now gymnastics. It is just, we're telling you, you can do these 10 things and here's how you have to do it and the amount of time that you have to do it. And here's the format that you have to do it on. Showing who can extol dominion over their surfboard turns out to not be that exciting. It's the randomness and the spontaneity is what's exciting. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean that, that you and I don't love surfing competition. That's different than saying surfing is not a sport. We can still have competition. Um, but you're right. Like Generally speaking, we want it to be eight to 10 foot pipe or chopu or some wave of consequence where that man versus nature thing that you always talk about comes into play. It helps present some randomness and some spontaneity and some yes. craziness and a little bit of chaos. And, um, and what's also fascinating about this is I keep coming back to when Kelly Slater, I think it was 2006 and he got those two tens at chopu and it was the um, letting go moment for him. And he'll tell you all, you, you can go on YouTube and read all about it or watch about it. But during those, during that heat, Kelly was, Kelly was doing stuff that if you programmed a robot surfer to do, it wouldn't have been done this way. The yeah. robot surfer would have taken off in time, gotten to his feet, done the, the you know, the mid face turn and checked his rail into it and done, you know, and got a, a perfect barrel. Kelly was on purpose making late drops dropping in without grabbing his rail, setting his line kind of in a chaotic free fall, uh, uh, right teetering on the edge of making it or not. The AI might see that as, oh, that's a slip up. I'm going to deduct from that. Whereas yeah. you and I are like, wow, Kelly's so good that he's he knows that he can push it this far and be this yeah. late on the drop and just barely pull his nose out of purling. And, and that stuff get would get missed. And that's the stuff that we're like, oh my God, he's pushed it to the limit. That moment was the perfect combination of jazz and, uh, you know, equation, let's say, meeting. What's it was Kelly with all the mastery in the world plus creativity. I think, too, at some point, didn't he drink a beer in that heat or like at the yeah. end? Like, and that's really off character, you know, like that's how spontaneous the whole thing was. Well, he came out of the barrel chugging it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't his uh, move. I mean, normally he'd be drinking athletic greens or something smart. <laughs> coconut coconut water <laughs> um that's what i'm going to be doing is mixing ag with that coconut water hell yes hell this is yes. also this is also where i went wrong in new york dude i forgot to bring the athletic greens to be honest yeah man i had my immunity down wards um, off covid yeah, exactly. Um, well, at any rate, I thought that was a great call, and I think it's going right down the wrong path. <laughs> the more we, we, the more we strive for objectivity, the more we go down the wrong path. Um, so, are you watching the U.S. Open at all? Hell to the no! Have you watched a single wave? Nope. Me neither. Don't even care. Crazy, right? Do not care, and it, and it's not, and I don't mean that to be a negative thing on what's happening down there. I'm sure there are a lot of people that love it, that are into it. I'm just not that demographic. I'm yeah. a 50 something year old guy who loves to surf. I've been surfing the last couple of days. And, um, but you know, you know what I have, I, I don't know if you notice on my Instagram, Malibu has been pumping and it's been glassy. Yeah. And I've been sending out things on Instagram, little digs like, Hey, WSL, 
you could be having an insane longboard contest right now, like four days in a row of four to five foot perfect first point. And we yeah. only need one day. We just need one day because you got to get to let the locals have some time out there. Are you interested in driving up there and surfing it? Malibu? Yeah. No, that's out of my wheelhouse too. Me too. No, I'm, I'm just, you know, if I want to go surf good points or whatever, I'm not going to do it with 40 dudes on a longboard. 40? Try 400. Yeah, same difference. 40, 400. <laughs> At that point, it's all the same. Yeah, I know. It's funny how it's within our driving. It's within my driving distance and reach, and I have no interest in doing it. Yeah. No. Too old no. for that. Um, well, so then I'm not going to comment on the U.S. Open either. Uh, I have not watched a single wave. And uh, it's funny. It was such a huge part of my youth. And not, not the um, things that they're doing on the beach. I've never cared about any of that, but just the surfing was so uh i looked forward to it because all the greatest surfers in the world came into town and so being able to see them i mean literally the shane bashan and kelly heat i was in knee deep water when that went down andy irons i've seen him out there in those you know the massive swell where he did that huge floater um i remember the first time felipe toledo showed up gabriel medina already had you know, a bit of a reputation and uh, Idolo was nowhere to be seen yet, but Gabriel, Miguel Pupo, there was a couple of other guys and then little Felipe Toledo in tow. He was like the only regular footer in the group. And I was like, man, this kid is legit. He was leashless. They were all wearing leashes. The waves are kind of big and they were doing big airs on big waves. And this little kid that was with him leashless doing just as much and maybe more than them that was a huge moment that I remember. So I was always excited to watch all of this stuff year in and year out. And man, it has just gotten so divergent from my own personal experience and my interests that it, and it brings with it the plague, you know, it brings with it tons of people who litter everywhere. And it's just a scourge on, on the city. Yeah. Look, I mean, a lot of it is just that you too have aged out of the US. Yeah, Open. I guess so. You know, like, because you have fond memories. Right now, there's a kid on the beach having those same memories, like yeah. building those same dreams. And I remember when I was a kid, you know, when I was in high school, the, you know, Shane Haran, Tom Curran thing. Um, and look, I'll be clear. I, I literally would be surfing at D Street by myself imagining that I was surfing against Shane Horan in the U S open at Huntington beach at Huntington pier, like as a 17 year old frothing competitive surfer kid that I was, you know, like, and, and so that's my special moment. You have your yeah. special moment and kids are having their special moments. And I'm not here to shoot those down or take mm -hmm. those away. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're middle-aged adults and we'd rather perhaps you know, like right now I'm reading an incredible book about the civil war. It's super, it's super old person. Like that's old person shit, you know, yeah. but, but it is what it is. Now it doesn't mean that you and I aren't like geeking out when it's eight foot chopu contest is on, or even free surf on the surfline cam or whatever. Um, or, you know, pipeline masters, like the best of the best, you know, like I'm going to watch the finals at Wimbledon. I'm going to watch the U S open tennis. I'm going to watch the best of the best, no matter what sport it is. I can get drawn into a really incredible cricket test 
You know, if you explain it to me, why it's so important, you know, if you can get yeah. me to bite on the hook. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious if the kids are having those same experiences and building those memories in the way that you and I were back then. I, I feel like something has just changed. My, my memory is better than your memory. Yeah. Yeah. I it is. Get it absolutely is. <laughs> I mean, it absolutely <laughs> is. You don't because... have dreams, kid. Well, let me, let me unpack it a little bit. Maybe I'm entirely wrong. Get your thoughts together. I'll be right back. Right. Take a little bathroom break. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So my argument is um, that the version of what's happening down in Huntington Beach now is just uh doesn't really accurately reflect the surf experience. And I feel like when I was young, it did. And so I don't know, like it's hard to kind of, I don't know, maybe, maybe when I was young, it didn't, and I was only engaging or it also didn't. And I was only engaging with the surfing part of it. But what I mean is if we're down there watching the best surfers in the world, which there always used to be, I mean, Kelly Slater would come through this year. None of the best surfers in the world are there. Forget about Kelly Slater. Gabriel's not there. Felipe's not there. John John's not there. So you have some of the best up and coming surfers in the world, but the best in the world always used to go. And you would see them, you would, uh, you know, like I said, that floater that Andy did, Kelly got a crazy barrel out there one year that I remember. You would see this really incredible surfing that was so much different than everything that you would see on a daily basis. Nowadays, I feel like the surfing that we see in that contest is kind of run in the mill, run of the mill compared to what you see on a daily basis. And then also everything. So we used to go down there for that surfing, best surfers in the world doing this crazy stuff. And then all of this pomp and circumstance kind of built up around it, but it was all to support it. It grew so big at a certain point that the pomp and circumstance became the reason that everybody came. And now the surfing is just kind of a sideshow. And I feel like it actually doesn't attract the best surfers in the world. They're not doing the best surfing anymore. And nobody's even there to watch that. So 
for a little kid showing up, maybe they are focusing on the surfing and having some important memorable, memorable experience, but I think they're probably just spending time at the half, as much time at the half pipe watching BMX as they are watching the surfing. I can't speak for all the kids. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there could be some truth to that. I, I would say there was a point where it got so watered down that the surfing didn't matter, you know? Um, and that's unfortunate, but there was also, as you well know, there was a time when Bob Hurley took it over and he really tried to get the focus back to what was happening in the water. And there was that one year where there was a massive South swell Hurley paid or had Kelly show up, had McFanning show up, like the best surfers in the world actually did show up. And, um, and it was a pretty exciting event. I think Brett Simpson won it and it was mind blowing, you know, and that was again, like, 2006 and it was because bob reined it all in it was like the focus is surfing here folks and you know i'm, I'm paraphrasing and I, you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth but the whole hurley crew evan slater all those guys they did a good job of going let's not let the circus overrun us here well it became a circus with a focal point on the hometown hero charging through big surf and beating the heroes the world champs so yes that was a moment where, again, the organizing body knew exactly which moments to or um, how to create the venue and the canvas to let the athletes do their thing. But showcasing the athletes doing their thing was always the focus. And the year prior, Nathaniel Kern won the event and it was 30,000 bucks. Next year, it was worth 100K. Nathaniel right. Kern was like, I'm one year too late. But yeah, Brett Simpson took out Mick Fanning in the final. And Pat O'Connell's on, on the jet ski for Brett, you know? And so that was like, it was just, it was like water world. It's the arena yeah. thing. It was so exciting. And they had that, they had a free surf sesh that you recall where they, all the guys are out there just busting airs, Kelly and everybody. It's kind of cool. And that, but, that's, yeah. that, that is what, yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, so. I, I'm sure that there's some kid down there that's watching the surfing and meandered his way through all the BS and got to the surfing and was just there for the surfing and, and, is, and is experiencing and having the same experiences that you and I had, where it was like, there's this dream, there's this thing, it is this pro surfing life, and um, I want a part of it. And I'm, this, is all, this is what I'm all about. And I know this to be fact because... There's 35 of those kids down at Seaside right now having heats with each other, trying to, yeah. trying to be Tom Curran beating Shane Horan in the 1982 OP Pro. Yeah, except they're not using that analogy. No, but I used it to, to, to connect the dots between my generation. And I their. get it. For them, it's Griffin versus uh, Felipe at, in El Salvador, you know? Right. By the way, um, the book I'm reading, in case anyone's interested, yeah, it's called Gods and Generals by Jeff Shara. It's a book number one of a trilogy about wow. the Civil War and their Pulitzer Prize winning books. They're incredible books. And it's amazing that, you know, citizens of these United States were killing each other over, I guess, what really could be a lie. You know, the idea that that men aren't created equal. And um, it's pretty, pretty, really good reading. I, I hope you'll find time to read it. 
it's interesting how the older you get, the more interested in history you become. Yeah, I know that's kind of an old old guy thing, for sure. Well, yeah, I'm talking I mean, I, about how well you slept and what ailments <laughs> and what ailments you have, and when you're playing pickleball next, and your <laughs> flow rate, and your flow rate. You know, uh, it's just no, but his, history is totally something that I've become more interested in or I travel to certain parts of the country, you know, that have history, the East oh, coast yeah. mainly. Yeah. And it's like all of that. I want to read every plaque. I want to understand more. And it really, then you will love these you, books. It makes you appreciative for the world that we grew up in, man. And that we get to talk about surfing. <laughs> well, speaking of history, the California gold surf auction is happening October 1st through the 15th. And we have some insane boards. We've got Greg Knowles. We've got uh, an original Decat. We've got an original Tom Parrish Lightning Bolt. We've got incredible wood boards from Bob Simmons, Dick Brewer, Mike Diffender for two Pat Currens. Uh, the original Big Wednesday board that Peter Townend rode in the movie. Of course, Free Ride is sort of the loose theme, Free Ride the movie from great Bill Delaney flick from 75, 77. Um, that's the theme of the auction, which means some of our boards fit into that. Um, era. So we have boards of and by Mark Richards, Sean Thompson, Reno, Larry Bertleman, um, an original Jerry Lopez lightning bolt, um, Barry Kanaya Puni. We also have pro personal boards from Tom Curran, Andy Irons, Mick Fanning, Kelly Slater, and Bethany Hamilton. So got a little bit of Crazy. everything in this upcoming California gold surf auction. Pretty excited about it. Absolutely amazing. Um, our final, final listener line call I've, I've entitled how to talk or advice for how to talk to your dad. <laughs> what I think you should chime in on this. Yeah. Um, hey uh, guys, just want uh, your guys' take. Um, so I've been shaping surfboards with my dad since I was a kid. We make all of our boards at home. Um, and you know, they're not like Pizels or anything crazy like that, but they're good boards. They uh, last a while and they flow, they can perform. And uh, anyways, my dad and I shape this really good, you know, 6'3", semi-step-up. That's just a beautiful board. And uh, I go away for a week, and my dad said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of the glassing and the fins. And wanting to bring my dad into the uh, 21st century, I said, Dad, we got to switch the FCS2 plugs. All the fins are getting made for that, so let's just transition into those. So and behold, I come back and uh, realized that my dad has put the uh, fin plugs in backwards. And I realized this while I was on a surf trip and uh, not sure if I have the heart to tell him that uh, he kind of uh, screwed this one up. Anyways, appreciate your guys' thoughts. What is a boy to do, Scott Bass? Wow, that's kind of a tough one. A lot of it depends on what their relationship is like, what's the nature of their relationship. It sounds like they're close. If they're building boards together. Yeah. So I don't see a problem with going, Hey dad, you know what? I've made this mistake myself. Always roll into the conversation with some humility and, and sort of a little bit of self-deprecation and just say, you know what? I too have made this mistake. And, uh, and so I want you to know that, you know, here's what went wrong here. And I think that's the move, no matter what the conflict or the resolution of a conflict might be, always go into it with some self-deprecation and some humility and acknowledging that you could also make this mistake. 
And that takes away some of the some of the lime juice of this sting, so to speak. So don't be like, hey, you kook, you did this all wrong. You ruined my idiot. surf trip. I would never do this. <laughs> um, I agree with you. Here's the deal. The best era of a father-son relationship, I think, is when they're equals, when you're equals, where you're friends, you know, like, because they're the first era is father taking care of son. And so there's a power uh, dis, what's the word, displacement or inequitability there. And that's the sweet time, of course, for both for different reasons. And at some point later in life, it shifts the opposite way to where the son is probably making certain accommodations and concessions for his elder father. And so that sweet spot in the middle of you can just share anything, you can josh with one another, you can poke fun, you respect one another's opinions, you're learning from one another, that is the sweet spot. And I'm wondering if this call is inquiry about the transition from the sweet spot to the elder years and is he saying like, hey, my dad is now making these mistakes and what do I do? Is He's now becoming feeble-minded. Should I call him out on it? Or it could just be, no, your dad makes mistakes like you and I and everybody else does. And in this case, call him out. Absolutely be honest with him. If he's still in the friend era, the sweet spot era, you absolutely call him out. You're like, pops, what a kook. Why did you do this? What You made this stupid mistake. I've made this stupid mistake too. God, we ruined this board together. You know, now we got to rip these out and reglass it. Yeah, so it depends. It does. It does depend. And um, yeah, it's sort of sweet and sad if it is a time where there's a transition to this, I'm taking care of my father moment. But I, I don't, we don't know. We don't know the, the situation that he's in. And that is for him. Now, now that he has our assessment, it's for him to assess what well, moment are you in right now? I will say this as we listen to his call, and it's so cool that they make boards together. Those two guys and any surfboard builder in the world can enter the best in show at the boardroom this year. The category is big wave gun. So I would urge he and his father to build a beautiful big wave gun and bring it down to the boardroom show and enter it. It's free to enter. All you got to do is build the board and bring it. And um, there's $1,500 for first prize. And again, categories, big wave guns, whatever that means to you, you know. Um, so that'd be cool if those two guys built a board for the show. And uh, like I said, any surfboard builder in the world is is allowed to enter this thing. It's presented by Zio Baffa Organic Italian Wines, uh, as it always Great is. wines. Yeah. And yeah. so my friends at Zio Baffa, again, are stepping up to um, basically, you know, that we want to see all the people that build surfboards that maybe don't have the resources or for whatever reason, the, the, uh, the desire to, to buy a booth, so to speak at the boardroom show, you can still be a part. We still want you to be a part of the, this is a very inclusive thing here. And we want all surfboard builders to feel like they can show their wares, show a board off at the boardroom show. Like yeah. people want to see that stuff. So, I mean, what a cool thing that they build boards together. Father and son building, first of all, they surf together, apparently, build boards together and then ride their self-made boards together. How cool is this? That's very cool. That's super groovy. And 
And I applaud well, them. Cool thing to I, share. I, I hope yeah. to meet them sometime. I'd love to meet both of those guys. Yeah. Maybe at the boardroom show. Yeah, maybe. A gathering place for all. That one other caller, Scott, said he's met us at the boardroom show, or he alluded to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I've yeah. met a few Scots. I'm not sure which one it was. <laughs> yeah, Scott. Hard to forget Scott, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I've got a must-see moment at Duke. If you got nothing else on your docket. That's all I got. Yeah. My must-see moment is slow lane with oh. Lori Towner. Yes. This is um Need man, Essentials. Talk about yes, Need Essentials produced. Cool. Talk about a return to surf cinema. Um, this thing is so cinematic. And the films that we've seen from Need Essentials in the past have kind of always focused on Torn Martin. And of course, we love those. Everybody loves those uh, produced, filmed and produced by Ishka Folkwell. Well, Ishka's got his thumbprint on this as well. He does the editing for this film. But um, Lori Towner is the featured surfer. And Lori's been getting wetsuits from Need Essentials, I feel like, for three years or so, four years. I was in Australia in 2019 and I was scheduled to meet with Lori to record a podcast when I fell ill for three days, had to call off all of my obligations and stay in bed. And I never got to connect with him. But the reason I was going to connect with him at that time was he had um, had that contest route childhood where he was on Billabong and had a bunch of surf edits, had all the, you know, uh, I don't know, potential in the world or expectation i think and the surf industry fell apart and he found himself i think he was working as a tile setter like he was laying tile for a living and he had a wife and kid and so he's working full-time with his uh, for his wife and kids but he was still taking time whenever the swell showed up somewhere on the map that was drivable at least he would then go and commit to that and he was getting like these insane clips out of Western Australia. Then that swell arrived or was on the map for Fiji. And he went and chased that at cloud break. And he got that cover shot dropping in on that insane left. And so the conversation at the time was going to be all about working for a living and still kind of pursuing, not even professional surfing, just pursuing surfing at the highest level as kind of an elite athlete. And uh, he's now been doing that for years. And so this film kind of tracks a lot of that. It has absolutely spectacular footage. Um, I'll just read a little blurb from uh, Neat Essentials. They said, showcases Lori's Towner, Lori Towner surfing, but also gives an in-depth understanding of Lori as a surfer and a father. It explores the concept of passing on knowledge to the next generation through shared experience and good times spent together as family. So not just Lori sharing this thing with his kids, but his parents, including his mom, were both surfers as well. And uh, so they cover that. It's beautiful, cinematically shot and uh, well worth watching. Slow lane. Cool. Well, I'm going to check it out. That sounds good. And, and I do remember Lori as a young surfer in Hawaii, I want to say it was like 2002, 2003, but we ran a great photo of him. I think Grant Ellis took it um, at Backdoor Pipe on just a sick drainer. And I think Grant took it from the surfer house, which was down by Log Cabin. So he was shooting off of our porch and there's some 
you know, trees and shrubbery in the foreground and Lori's just in this massive, just, and, and like, like I say at the time, he, I don't know, I want to say he was like 17 or 18. He was definitely like one of these frothy young kind of Aussie surfers that was just kind of being shown around and shown the, you know, the paces on the North shore. And um, for him to get that shot was pretty cool. Wasn't he the one who dislocated a shoulder on two separate occasions during the Pipe Master Trials event? Yeah, that does ring a bell. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm I'm not sure all, the exact nature of it, but yeah. I'm almost positive that was Laurie. Yeah. So um, epic just to see this light being shown on Laurie in such a um, serious, but also artistically beautiful fashion and showcase. So slow lane. Yeah. And I'm trying to think who's his partner in crime that shapes boards. Um, I interviewed him last year or sometime, but Aussie guy that has a daughter that's charging. Anyway, I, I'll, I'll remember later, but anyway, um, those two guys. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, Longbottom. Yes. Dylan. Exactly. Yeah. Dylan yeah. Longbottom. Yeah. I bet, I bet Lori's riding some of those boards. Cause those two guys are kind of like just, They've been helmen together for like 20 years. Yeah. Um, my Duke of the week. This is a story that's yet to be reported, but oh. one, one Aaron Brooks, who you yes. and I sing the praises of regularly, yeah. just made the final yesterday at the Padang Cup in yes. the Rip Curl, the Rip Curl Cup at Padang Padang. And uh, this is a young female competing in what I presume is an open division, but it's all males. And she was shredding. She made the final. This is an event that Shane Dorian was in. Mason Ho was in. Benji Brand was in. Ian Crane was in. None Marzo. of them made it to the final. Clint. Well, Marzo. Yeah. Marzo won it and made it to the final as well, yeah. but she, um, she got an eight point ride in her semifinal. It was insane. So Aaron Brooks, full Duke. Unreal. So stoked and um, big fan. I, I just—it's going to be interesting to see how her career kind of plays out. You know, it's um, well, she's almost like transcended the WSL at this point. It's—you know what I mean? Like, in a weird way, she could just keep doing what she's doing and kind of kill it instead of like going down some rabbit hole of surfing. You know, challenger events at you know wherever. Brisbane well, Beach. I mean, uh, yeah, Huntington. No, thank you. Huntington. I mean, yeah. the, the reality is she could have been in Huntington instead of Padang. Yeah. Exactly. And she made a decision. She made a decision to be at Kandui for that insane swell. She made a decision to be at Padang. And Those which, by the way, awesome. Phenomenal decisions. And um, the decision, had she chosen to be at Huntington this week, the other story that we didn't cover is the WSL canceled one of their five challenger series events, the Quicksilver pro in France this week, they canceled it. It's an upcoming event. So it's like, she would have been dumb to put her money on the table there when that table is slowly being eroded from underneath. Yeah. It kind of brings into um, the forefront, this concept uh, that you always bring up of, of um ufc you know like in a real world situation if dana white was in charge of the wsl he'd be like everybody get out of the way aaron brooks is in the pipeline event <laughs> i don't care if exactly. she hasn't qualified this is who they want to see 
Like, let's not be idiots here. Give the people what they want. You know, Moana Jones Wong, these two are in it, you know? And, um, you know, we're sort of in this, I mean, there's some pros to having some format and some policy and some procedure, but there's also like the obvious, like Aaron Brooks is, is a phenom. And yeah. you need to see the phenom before the phenom's 23 and decides to become a doctor and bails out. And we missed the whole thing. Yeah. Because she was chasing well, points for eight years, like wherever. Fruitlessly. Yes. Thank you. Fruitless chasing of points. So um, we got another listener line called that I didn't play, but it was from Ryan in Orlando. And he said, I'm having an existential quandary about whether to even watch the Tahiti event. Because if the WSL doesn't give wild cards to Moana Jones Wong, and he he said uh, Vahini Fierro, yeah, who's Charger, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, or Tahitian Charger. So he's like, if they don't give the wild cards to those two people, they are the most deserving. They are the ones who could go out and win the event when the waves are pumping. Then, if they give them to anybody else, why would I even watch? because they're just missing the point entirely. Again, I want to watch the best surfers ride the best waves in the world. And if you're not going to give me that, then, you know, I have a real existential quandary. So I agree with what you're saying. And you also said she's almost gotten bigger than the WSL. That's something we've touched on in the past too. And where they really need to consider making a mistake has repercussions beyond what are obvious and what you can see. And if John, John, doesn't have an incentive to come back and compete because you're running in beach breaks and that's not going, he's been fine tuning his craft to ride the best waves in the world and be the best at those. And you're not going, you're going to put him in a go-kart on a go-kart track. Then he's going to just continue sailing the world. And the same could be said for Kelly. The same can be said for Gabriel who took half a year off. And even the young, young up and comers are choosing a different path from the beginning it's going to be a problematic. It is. And, and it's funny because John John's on my list of things to talk about him sailing away into the sunset. Because my, and one of my questions to you, and I didn't bring it up, but have we, are we ever going to see John John on the complete tour again? I get that he's probably going to get wild cards into pipe. But it, it could very realistically um, come to pass. That well, let's we don't save see it John for next John, week. We don't see John John on on tour ever again and i don't blame him because i know florence x marine is going to get tons of killer content to drive the brand and to john and to drive john john as one of our heroes for lack of a better phrase and we don't necessarily need to see him in a in a jersey except at pipe i know and we'd I like know. to see him at choku <laughs> well let's put it on on the docket for next week and i'll develop deeper thoughts on it yeah okay well look david great show I hope you feel better. I hope you get better. You might consider some of those therapeutics that everyone's talking about. Until next okay. time, adios and aloha. Yes, I am a pirate. 200 years too late. The cannons don't thunder. There's nothing to plunder. I'm an over 40 victim of fate. Arriving too Arriving too late But I've done a bit of smuggling And I've run 
my share of grass I made enough money to buy Miami But I pissed it away so fast Never meant to Gone ahead of 